Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Now, always a pleasure to be back with you guys. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. As he just mentioned, we're taking a pause on our series called The Book, and we're doing a little mini-series called Standing on Their Shoulders. And last week, we looked at the Apostle Paul, and today we're going to look at David. Now, I know David did not have a spotless record. (laughs) But newsflash, there's only one perfect person in the Bible and his name is Jesus. So as we're looking at this series and looking at some folks that we can stand on their shoulders and mimic the way they followed and pursued after God, uh, if we're gonna look at perfect people, that would be a short series, right? (laughs) So looking at David today, 1 Samuel chapter 17. There's a movie called Mary Poppins Returns, and it is basically the sequel to the original Mary Poppins. And if you're like me, I normally don't love it when they remake an old classic like that, but I actually really like Mary Poppins Returns. And you can judge me if you want, that's okay. But I really like Mary Poppins Returns. We watch it with our kiddos every now and then. It's good, clean, wholesome fun, and some good messages in there. But the very last scene... Michael Banks, who in the original Mary Poppins was the little boy. Now he's the dad and he's got his own kids. His wife has passed away. But Michael Banks and his kiddos at the very very end are walking through a park in London. It's a spring festival. Well, they see an elderly lady who is selling balloons sitting on a park bench. And this elderly lady is played by the famous Angela Lansbury. And if I was really amazing, I would try to mimic her accent, but it would just offend you. And so I won't do that. But they run up to Angela Lansbury and they want to buy a balloon. They're so excited to buy these balloons. She's got pink balloons and blue balloons and a few other colors. And she looks at Michael, the dad, and says, sir, why don't you go first? And he says, well, I'm afraid I, I haven't done that in a long time. I can't remember the last time I've done that. And she said, oh, so you've forgotten what it's like. And he looks at her and he says, to hold a balloon? And she says, no, to be a child. And she has this kind of winsome inviting, come on. And sure enough, he takes a balloon and next thing you know, they're all floating in the sky. It's kind of crazy, but (laughs) sounds like a cool balloon to me. But, But I love that scene because she has this invitation of you've forgotten what it's like to be a child. You know, as adults, we we forget things that kids knew or know that it's a shame that we've forgotten. There's things, there's ways that kids approach life that as adults, they begin to to fade on us. I I know some of you are looking at me like, you're still a kid. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. It's the most amens I've gotten all morning. <laughs> I think about, in comparison, our three-year-olds with uh, twin three-year-olds and their wonder for life. They're like, we saw a dragonfly yesterday and you would have thought we were at Disney. Like just, wow, it's amazing. This wonder for life. You know, I think sometimes when it comes to the Bible, as adults, we, we tend to lose that wonder 
sometimes. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the amazing stories in the Old Testament, they get stuck in the children's ministry. And that's not Miss Pam's fault. She's amazing. What I mean is that we, we get into middle school and high school and older in our senior adult classes and, and we kind of forget the wonder of these stories that they are true, that, that they're real. And so my hope this morning is, as, as we look at the story of David is that one, we're blown away by this incredible story that you've probably heard hundreds of times, maybe, I don't know, in your lifetime. But also that it reawakens some of that sense of wonder and awe at who God is. As we seek to stand on sh- the shoulders of David and kind of mimic how he believed in and followed after God. So if you would, let's take a moment just to pray and ask that God will give us fresh eyes. I recognize that probably when you turn to the story of David and Goliath, when I said 1 Samuel 17, there, you can't help but have this, oh, I've heard this before. Let's ask that God would give us ears to hear this as if we'd never heard it. Let's pray together. I'll give you a moment to pray and then I'll pray. God, it's good to pause and just be quiet and be aware of your presence. Lord, thank you for the reverence for which this church has in regard to your word. Lord, even a story that we've heard maybe literally hundreds of times is still worth reading again. It's still worth studying again because your word is perfect and pure and true and life-changing. And so God, would you give us ears to hear this morning, eyes to see afresh. And Lord, I pray that you would help me as I read the story and share it, not just to tell it, but that we would see it, God, that we would, it would be real to us, almost as if we were there. God, thank you for the examples we have in scripture. And I pray that you would stir our hearts for you this morning, that you would help us to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us Lord, not just for respect and honor, but to learn and to be more like you and to grow closer to you and to to live for your glory. It's in your wonderful name that we pray, amen. If you would, uh, I'm gonna begin in verse one and we're gonna read the the majority of the story and just so you kind of, if you're like me, you like to have a plan or wanna know what the plan is at least. So we're gonna spend some time walking through the story, a good bit of time, and just kind of enjoying the story, reading it as it is. It's an amazing narrative. And then as we finish, uh, we'll see three truths that we must not miss from this story. So you're welcome to write things down along the way, but I promise you, as we finish the story, we're gonna see three truths. And really, with the story, the best way to do it is see it all in its totality and then say, hey, what are the takeaways? Almost like when you're a kid and you read a story and the teacher finishes and says, what's the moral of the story, right? So we wanna make sure we get to the end. So with that said, chapter 17, verse one. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soko in Judah and camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. Saul and, excuse me, Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine 
camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. So get the scene. This is not, not to knock on modern warfare, but this is not guys maybe huddled in some sort of trailer offsite flying a drone. This is man-to-man combat. They're lined up on one side of the hill and on the other side is the Philistines. And then they're gonna meet in this ravine. They're gonna come down and meet in what should be, at least in their minds at this point, a bloodbath. This is man-to-man, sword-to-sword, spear-to-shield, tripping over bodies, blood getting splatted on you. This is serious, cold-blooded war. And as they stand there, the champion Goliath comes out. He's a champion, so it's not just that he's big and so he's intimidating, it's that he's experienced. It's not just like, oh, he's a big, a lovable teddy bear and he's a big guy. No, he's a huge mammoth of a man and he's a war champion. If you went to his house, he would have the medals, the records of all the wars he had won. And he's armored up. His coat of mail, so basically the jacket of armor he's wearing, probably weighed as much as some of these young Israelite soldiers. 125 pounds, they're looking at him and saying, his armor weighs as much as I do. (laughs) How are we gonna stand a chance? And it's not just that he looks intimidating, the things he says are terrifying. Verse eight, it says, he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. You reckon? <laughs> like nine feet, nine inches saying, come on, bring it. One man, man to man, let's go. Forget the battle. Let's just go one-on-one and it's a winner-take-all situation. So day after day, they just back away. It, it, later in the text, verse 16, it says, every morning and evening for 40 days, this happened. Can you imagine the type of trauma that would create? of like reliving this experience over and over again. Every morning, every night, the Philistine Goliath comes out and taunts the army, taunts your God and says, come on, is anyone ever gonna be willing to fight me? Who would be brave enough to do that? And, and why would they be brave? Like, what are you getting yourself into? How can Israel even have a chance with Goliath on, Goliath on the Philistine side? Like, there's, there's no chance that one little guy from Israel can go and take on Goliath. No way. While this is going on for 40 days, 40 nights, over and over again, the text tells, it kind of gives us this other scene, so to speak, the camera shifts, and tells us about a boy named David. Now, if you know First Samuel, we'd already been introduced 
to David. But the author almost speaks of David as if we're hearing about him for the first time. And he says, David was a shepherd boy. I'm paraphrasing or summarizing some of this so I don't have to read all of it for the sake of time. But says he was a shepherd boy, took care of his father's flock. But David had some brothers who were out at war. And one day, Jesse, David's dad, said, hey, I want you to go, go check on your brothers. Take some provisions, take some food, take some cheese. Apparently they liked queso, they were good Texans. <laughs> and go check on your brothers. I have a feeling if Jesse had known what would transpire, he may not have sent his, his youngest son. He may not have sent David. Verse 21 of chapter 17, it says, David arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation, facing each other. David left left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. And I don't blame them. Like, in their minds, nothing has changed. Yeah, Goliath keeps taunting us, and we still have no answer. Last time I checked, we don't have someone nine feet, nine inches. (laughs) It's not gonna work. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. Hey, what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Whoa, here's a change of pace. I can't help but think that when David says this, that the guys around him are like, shh, hey, who, shh. Who, Who do you think you are? Like, you're the shepherd boy that's bringing some queso to your brothers. Like, what are you doing? And I kind of wonder the same thing. Like, has David not, did he not get a good look at Goliath? Maybe the way the hills were, like Goliath seemed little because he was far away. Did he not see that who Goliath is? Goliath is a mammoth of a man. And, he, and David's over here talking, what we would call talking trash, right? Like talking smack. Who does this guy think he is? I can't help but think that the men around David said, David, who, who do you think you are? What are you doing? The troops told him about, verse 27, the troops told him about the offer, concluding, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. So you can see Eliab pull David over. And, Why did you come down here? He asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Just imagine for a second if we had never heard this story. If we had never heard this story, we would probably think that Eliab is right. What else, what other business does a little shepherd boy 
have doing running up to the battle line and talking smack to Goliath when the rest of the Israelite army is scared to death. Eliab says, little brother, what are you doing here? Go back to take care of your sheep. You don't have many sheep, by the way. He says, you have a small flock, so you're not that important. You're not that impressive. You go take care of them. Leave the real fighting. Leave the fighting to the real men. He says, I, I know your arrogance, your evil heart. You just wanted to see a bloodbath. So, so just go back. Because David, no one can stand against Goliath. Why do you think we've been frozen in fear for 40 days? Day and, or morning and night. He comes out, he taunts us, and we're not gonna do anything because no one can do anything, David. So just get out of here. You're just rubbing it in that you're here trying to watch this. Verse 29. What have I done now, protested, protested David? It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. I think, I don't know for a fact, but I think Saul maybe thinks David's a little crazy here. <laughs> Just, I think... My dad sometimes says the phrase, uh, Lord bless you. And I must like that's what Saul was saying here. Lord bless you. Like, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, D David, okay, you, you've, you've killed some bears, some lions, but this is a man who's trained for battle. He's trained to kill humans, not just to steal sheep. And he's covered in armor. How is David gonna have a chance. I think, I think Saul's question is totally fair. How is little David gonna take on Goliath? How, how could there be hope for him? I think that's why, I think maybe a little bit of evidence, I wouldn't say proof, but maybe some evidence that Saul maybe thinks David is a little crazy and doesn't stand a chance is in verses 38 through 40. We see that Saul gives David his military attire, his armor, to wear. Now, of course, you know, it was too big, didn't fit David. He says, I'm not used to this. I, I can't wear this. But I, th I, think, I think Saul was willing to let David try it on and wear it because he figured, I'm going to get it back. <laughs> like, there's no way David comes out of this alive. So he'll get killed. We can drag him over and I'll just get my armor back and story over. No way he's going to win. Well, David, again, doesn't take the armor, grabs his sling, and five smooth stones. Put them in his little bag. 
And it says, he approached the Philistine. So that's the end of verse 40. This would seem to me to indicate that David is the one who took the first step. Can you imagine that that scene? Nine foot, nine inches tall Goliath, covered in armor. David, no armor, a little slingshot. And he's like, I'm gonna take the first step and walk towards him. Can you imagine, like if if the camera were to pan out, could you imagine the other soldiers watching? This is a waste of time. Like, do y'all wanna go get some brunch? Or like, what, like what, what are we doing next? Because this is a joke. I, I, I can't imagine some maybe watching like, I just wanna see, like, is this gonna be the shortest battle ever? Verse 41, the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Goliath did not like that. Verse 48, when the Philistines started forward to attack, to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed his Philistine sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. (laughs) The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn strewn all along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. What in the world just happened? Can you imagine some of those some of those uh, soldiers who have been? I mean, let's see. This will be short lived. Can you imagine their draw their jaws dropping when Goliath runs up? One swing of his sling, stone hits Goliath in the forehead, and he's just, he's done. And then to see little David run up there, take out his sword, kill Goliath, and then cut his head off, they normally leave that part out in the children's ministry. (laughs) What just happened? 
How could little bitty nobody, unknown David, take down Goliath? Not just take down Goliath, the battle completely shifted at that moment. Right? Like in, in, in um, the military world, there's some important small events that can completely change the trajectory of the battle. And in this case, David over Goliath, that completely changed the battle. That completely changed the war. How in the world could that happen? Well, I think three things that David knew and believed that we need to know and believe. Three truths. Number one, you don't need a position to be used by God. You need a passion for God's glory. You don't need a position to be used by God. You need a passion for God's glory. This is not a trick question. I know David had been anointed at this point, but who was still the functional, excuse me, who was still the positional king in Israel? Saul. He, he was the king, right? That's where they had to go and get really permission almost from Saul for David to go out and fight Goliath. Saul was the positional leader. Leadership experts talk about positional leadership. You have this chair, you have this position versus functional leadership. Just because you have a position does not mean you are the functional leader. David knew that he didn't have to have this title, this position. He just needed a passion for God's glory. And God used him mightily. And I would say, Passion for God's glory will lead you to do things and attempt things for God that you never would if you only had a position. Listen, you don't need a label to be used as a leader. You need a passion for God's glory. God delights in using unqualified, ill-equipped people to do the unthinkable. Why is that? Because he gets the glory, right? When, when the unexpected happened, when God uses this nobody from no man's land, his, even his brothers don't believe in him, you don't go, wow, David's awesome. I mean, in some ways, you, you can't help it. He, he's the, kind of the hero of this narrative, so to speak, but you can't help, like David, but to look to God and go, wow. God can use anybody, anytime, anyway, in any place for his glory. Are you willing? This is not a, this is not to give us an excuse to not be prepared. We wanna be prepared. We wanna do our best to be ready to be used by God. Rather, this is a perspective to put off excuses. I don't have to have this position. I don't have to have this label. I just need a passion for God's glory. So, so I wanna ask you, how many of you have not been seeking to, to make an influence on the kingdom of God? You, you've not been seeking to, to make an impact in the kingdom of God because you've been waiting for a position. You're like, well, you know, I just, I just volunteer. I don't really have a title. No one really knows me. And God's tapping on your heart and saying, quit waiting for a position. You just need a passion for my glory. And then how many of us you have a position. When I say position, I mean a position of influence, a position of, of leadership of some sort. 
but you're not making an impact for the kingdom because you don't have a passion for God's glory. I almost, I almost missed that. I had a little trouble going to sleep last night. I'm like Pastor David, we both would kind of like to review our, our messages the night before. And I was like, man, something, I don't, something, something didn't seem settled. And as I laid there, I realized I've been focusing on, you don't have to have a position. But then I realized so many of us have positions, we just like passion for his glory. So I wanna ask you, if you're realizing, man, I, maybe I'm not making an impact, I'm not being used by God because I don't have that passion. If I'm honest, I don't know what else to tell you but to ask God to give it to you. <laughs> Only he can transform our hearts so where we don't live for our glory but for God's glory. I, I think the only encouragement I can give you is, God, would you change my heart? Would you give me a passion for your glory, for your name, for your renown, that people would see how amazing you are, not how awesome I am or this world is, but God, help me have a desire for people to know that you're bigger, you're better than anything or anyone that this world has to offer. Give me a passion for you. Not for myself, but for God. See, I think that's similar to the second thing Paul knew. Not Paul, sorry, that was last week. (laughs) David knew. Giant slayers aren't self-confident. They are God-confident. Giant slayers aren't self-confident. They are God-confident. Confident. When I say giant slayers, what I mean is people who grow in their relationship with God, they live boldly in their relationship with God and they seek to make his glory and kingdom known. They want others to know God. They wanna push back the darkness with the light of God, push back the hopelessness with the hope of God. That's what I mean by confidence. Giant slayer, or by giant slayers. Giant slayers aren't self-confident, they are God-confident. See, real confidence, true confidence doesn't come from thinking you have ability. It's, it's realizing that God has ability to do anything. And you focus on him and what he can do. See, that was what David did. I love in, in the story, in verse 28, that's when Eliab comes to David and, and said, what are you doing? You just have this small flock of sheep. That's all you can handle. You go back and handle that. Eliab, whether he knows it or not, is trying to get David to focus on his own story and his own confidence and make him realize, David, you shouldn't be confident. And David refuses to make it about him. He makes it about God. When he talks to Saul in verses 34 through 37, he says, look, I faced the bear, I faced the lion. In all those situations, God delivered me. See, David was not gonna let the story be focused on his confidence and his experience and what he could do. He wanted to focus on what God could do. And when David shared those stories about the lamb and, excuse me, about the lion and the bear in verses 34 through 38, David was saying, hey Saul, I trust God with my future because I've seen God's faithfulness in my past. So I'm gonna be confident in what God can do. And then later in verses 45 through 47, notice he doesn't say, you know what, Goliath? I've been doing some martial arts training and I'm coming for you, buddy. 
He doesn't say, man, I've been training for years with this sling and these stones. This is my lucky, my lucky stone that I got out of this rock, I'm gonna, out of this riverbed. I'm gonna take you down. David didn't tell Goliath, you know, I just got back from boot camp and I'm, I'm highly educated, highly trained. No, he said, the battle belongs to the Lord. Not confident in what I can do, Goliath, I'm confident in what God can do. And he says, today, when I remove your head, when I cut your head off, all the world will know, this whole camp will know that there is a God in Israel. So see, again, David, passion for God's glory, regardless of position, but also confidence in God, not confidence in self. You know, if we walk away with this story and we're like, man, David was just so awesome. Like that, that, that's okay. Like that, the way the narrative is written, we're, he is, in a sense, the hero, the human hero of the story. But if we walk away with just that, man, David's so awesome, we walk away with something different than David walked into the story with. He did not walk into the story going, boy, I'm about to take this boy down. I'm awesome. I've been doing CrossFit. No. He said, God can handle this. So don't walk away with, man, David's so great. No, walk away and stand on David's shoulders by saying, I'm gonna be confident in God. Not confident in what I can do or can't do. You know, we, we typically think of this story as a classic underdog story, but I think David would go, what? This is not an underdog story. This was God versus Goliath. It was an underdog story and Goliath was the underdog. <laughs> Goliath showed up with a knife to a gunfight. Because no one can come against God and be victorious. David was confident in God, not in himself. William Carey said, missionary said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. This mindset that God is confident, excuse me, I'm confident in God and what he can do, so I'm gonna live boldly for him. Giant slayers aren't self-confident, they are God confident. And so their focus is on God. So much of our world today is created and designed and marketed by you and me turning our eyes in on ourselves. How can I be, be better? How can I be more awesome? How can I be more confident? And scripture over and over and over again is calling us to quit navel gazing and fix our eyes on God. And that really in the grand scheme of scripture, the grand scheme of scripture points to the third thing that I don't think David could have verbalized in this story, but ultimately when we look at the grand narrative of scripture and the scarlet thread that runs through all of scripture, I know today David would agree with this. Here's this third truth I want us to see. David's personal victory over Goliath points us to Jesus' victory over every giant. G David's personal victory over Goliath points us to Jesus' permanent victory. I left that word out, sorry. Jesus' permanent victory over every giant. If you read the rest of the story, David, while pretty incredible leader. He was terribly sinful. Made some big mistakes. 
David eventually died. And that was the end of his story. As much hope as David brought to the people of God, when he died, the hope that he had carried on his shoulder, shoulders just died with him. It, it, it laid in the grave. Because once David died, he couldn't keep leading. Many years later, after David died, in the same town that King David was born, Jesus Christ, the God-man, was born in Bethlehem. And Jesus came not to fight a nine-foot, nine-inch giant. Jesus came to fight the most terrible giant the world has ever known. A three-headed monster named Death, Satan, and Sin. And when Jesus came, he didn't pick up a sword, he didn't pick up a slingshot and a stone. Jesus, no, rather, picked up a cross. And he carried that cross, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, taking on himself the punishment that we deserve. He carried that cross to the point of death. He was buried in a grave. And to the world, it looked as if the hope that Jesus had carried, like David, had been buried with Jesus and that the hope was over. But then three days later, to the shock of everyone but heaven, Jesus rose again to live victorious, conquering death, sin, and Satan. Now holding the keys victoriously. The, vic the victor, the conquering king. And Jesus cannot die again. So the hope that lives and reigns with him lives forever. So we don't hope in a man and hoping one day things will be okay. No, we know for certain that all things will be made new, that we do have hope because Jesus is alive and forever reigning. He is our conquering king. He is our hope. See, in the story of David, his victory brought himself riches. In the story of Jesus, his victory brings his children riches. What do I mean? Riches of grace and mercy, and hope, and love, and forgiveness, and purpose, and pleasure in him. He is our victor. Because he's victorious over the greatest monster the world has ever known, the greatest giant, we don't have to be scared of any giant. By the way, I'd just be remiss if I didn't point, out, point this out. In the story, Goliath, I'll get it straight in a second. David knocks down Goliath with the stone, takes him out, he's down for the count, and then comes up and cuts his head off with the sword, and then he's done forever. Jesus, I think it's a helpful picture. Jesus took Goliath, Satan out with the cross. But when Jesus comes again as the conquering king, not as the suffering servant, when he comes again, with the word of his mouth, he will sever Satan's head. And Satan will be banished to hell forever. That day is coming. Until that day comes, we face giants. But as I said a second ago, 
no giant should we be scared of as children of God if Jesus can prove, has proved that he's conquered Satan's sin and death. No giant is too big for him. So this, the moral of the story is not, all right, now I am gonna go and take down whatever this giant is. Anxiety, depression, struggles at work, this family situation, temptation. I'm gonna go and do this. Now that's not the point. That's not what David walked away with. The point is God can take down any giant. God can take down anything I'm facing and he's proven it because he's conquered death, Satan, and sin. He is the victor. My son's favorite story, probably at this point anyways, is this story. Haddon loves the story of David and Goliath. I, I think it's because he's a guy and this is a violent story. I don't know, but that's all I got. Um, what's funny is even from, from a young age, he would want to, I mean, he's three and a half, but even like, at two years old, he would want to act this out. And it's funny because he always says, he'll say, daddy, you beat a giant. You beat a giant. So I'll come at him as a giant. And I don't know where he got this. I don't know where he heard like the Kung Fu version of David and Goliath. But he always, when he slings, slings the stones, he always goes, hi-ya. <laughs> and I'm always like, I don't know where that, it's fine, I guess. I just don't know what that is. Um, I don't know where he gets these silly ideas from. It must be his dad. <laughs> But what's funny is sometimes when he slings a stone just for fun to change it up, I'll keep, I'll keep coming at him. Rawr! And he always says, no, dada, down. <laughs> no, because once he's thrown the stone, he, he knows the story. That, no, Goliath fell. He fell. You don't keep coming because Goliath fell. It always makes me laugh because Haddon knows the story. And because of that, when the giant, dad, dad comes at him, he's not scared. He just says, no, you're down. You're down. What am I trying to get at? Thinking not just of this story, but the ultimate story, Jesus as our victor over the, our greatest enemy. How many of us need to live our lives as though we know the story? So many of us, Satan and his, and his demons come at us, and even just life comes at us and it intimidates us and scares us and we, we tend to back away. Oh man, this is gonna get me, this is gonna take me down, whatever it may be. When in reality, we should be saying, no, no life, no self-talk who's trying to discourage myself. No, Satan, I know the story, Jesus wins. So, so you can get down. I'm gonna live in hope and victory, and I'm gonna live boldly because I know the victor. See, we throw stones, believers, not by, I'm gonna be more awesome, I'm gonna try harder. No, we throw stones at the giant by remembering the story that Jesus is our champion. He is the victor. As we close this morning and enter a time of response in a minute, I want you to consider just these few things. Remember, you don't need a position to be used by God. You need a passion for God's glory. Maybe you've been putting off serving God and getting involved in what he's doing because you think you need a position. Ladies and gentlemen, today is the day. Live boldly for him today. Maybe you need to ask God to give you a passion for his glory. For others, maybe you've, you've been trying to be confident and live 
live for God and be a giant slayer in the sense of gonna make a difference in the kingdom, but you've been focused on self and God this morning is calling you to get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on him, the true victor. Others of us, maybe it's just this morning to remember that David's personal victory points us to Jesus' permanent victory over every giant, that we have hope in him to fix your eyes on him, to remember the story, the gospel story, that no giant has to scare us because we know who wins. Jesus. Some of you this morning, you don't know Christ. You don't have a relationship with God because you've been confused on what the Bible says. Because of our world and because of our own human flesh, we often misunderstand the Bible and we take it to mean, okay, I need to be the hero of my story. These are rules for how I can be a better hero. These are truths and principles for how I can be a better hero. And no, over and over, the resounding theme and proclamation of scripture is that Jesus is the hero. We stand on David's shoulders this morning, not by saying I'm gonna be awesome, no, but by realizing Jesus is awesome. This morning, maybe God is drawing some, some of you to himself and that you're realizing, yeah, I, that makes sense. <laughs> no wonder I've made such a mess of this. I am a broken, sinful person. I can't save myself. I can't be the hero of my story. But thank God Jesus came and lived a perfect life on this earth 2,000 years ago, died the death that I deserve and then rose again victorious and he is the hero. This morning, you can come into a relationship with God. You can know Jesus by turning from your sin turning from your self-righteousness, trying to be your own hero and turning to Jesus, surrendering to him to be your savior. And in doing that, you say, Jesus, would you be the Lord of my life? I recognize you're the hero, not me. I wanna follow you. I wanna trust you. I want you to be in charge of my life. If you do that this morning, scripture says you will be saved. When you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So maybe some of you this morning need to call on his name. I'm gonna pray in just a moment and there are gonna be some, some men down front that would love to pray with you, love to talk with you. Maybe you have some questions about what we've talked about or salvation. They, that's what they're here for. We're gonna rejoice in anything God is doing in your life. Maybe you're looking for a, a church home to join and we're a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church. That's a good church to be part of. Maybe you've not followed Jesus in baptism. Maybe we'd love to talk to you about that this morning. Whatever it is, after I pray, I want you to respond. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for reminding us of your goodness, of your victory, of your greatness, of the hope that we have in you. God, would you lead us to have a passion for your glory? Would you lead us to be confident in you and not in ourselves? And would you lead us to remember the story that you are victorious over any giant we face. Yes, we will stumble and fall and struggle on, on this earth, but we can take heart because you have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that you would give people a boldness to respond and, and clarity in, in what you're leading them to do this morning. And God, would you save people? Would you help them to turn from trying to be their own hero and realize that you're the, you're the only hero? <laughs> they would turn to you for salvation. God, we love you. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Would you help us to respond now? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Y'all stand with us and sing. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.